The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome once again to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai. And joining me, as always, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, sir? I'm really well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? Not too bad, bud. Not too bad. Well, I say that. A little bit frustrated. As I mentioned to you just before we started recording, uh, my wife has gone away for the weekend. So it's just me and the girls, uh, my two youngest daughters who live here still. And I thought, brilliant. I can do all my uh, podcast preparation all my research, all my making notes of the shows and so on, downstairs on the big telly, um, because normally I come upstairs to the bedroom and use a little portable because the wife doesn't want to watch 30-year-old wrestling. <laughs> so, excellent, the wife's away. I can watch I can watch this event, Clash of the Champions, uh, downstairs on the big telly. But no, my 13-year-old daughter has been sat there watching bloody YouTube videos on Doctor Who all afternoon, and even though my wife is away, I've still been relegated to the portable upstairs. <laughs> Wow. Yes, they run the house, mate. They run the house, but there we go. <laughs> there we go, yes. Uh, today, we are looking at WCW's, what would it be, third live show in five or six days, Danny? Yeah. I think it was? Yep. Yeah, this is the third, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's Clash of the Champions 33. First broadcast on the 15th of August, 1996. It comes to us live, as I say, from Denver, Colorado. Uh, 8,300 people were in the building. Just over 5,900 paid to get in. So WCW received a gate of just a smidge over $70,000. But what is most interesting, Danny, is the amount of people who watched this on television. Now... The, the whole Clash of Champions format has been running for many, many years at this point, since the 80s. And it was done, in the past, it was it was always sort of used as almost a pay-per-view quality show on television. It was seen as a big, big deal. Yeah. And I think part of that is still hanging around here in the very late days of Clash the Clash of the Champions events. 
but sadly we don't get a pay-per-view quality card because WWE are making money from their pay-per-views now. But back yeah. when Clash of the Champions was first established and for a big chunk of its run, Clash of the Champions was seen as a huge deal and it would be built up like a pay-per-view we would have pay-per-view standard storylines and matches uh, titles would change hands i mean one of the famous flare steamboat trilogy from 1989 was a clash of champions event and all that sort of stuff and it, it's done this way because wcw were effectively they were a, a tv company as opposed to a standard wrestling company which would do its weekly television to build up to pay-per-views WCW was owned by a TV company of its own, so it was slightly different, especially when Clash was running, you know, in its prime, shall we say. So the ratings we get here, it was broadcast on TBS, which was available in many, many homes. The ratings on the television we get here were a 3.4, which equates to apparently 2.2 million homes. Now, what's else we need to understand as well is when we're looking at tv ratings now as in modern day 2023 and we're looking at aw rampage doing what does it they say they do like 900,000 or no that's dynamite sorry is it 900,000 to a million uh something like that smackdown on friday nights doing around two million apparently yeah what the how the ratings work now how the numbers are now is slightly different because a few years ago they changed from number of homes tuning in to the program to actually number of viewers so each home they work out to be between three and 3.5 viewers so what we're seeing now is that number of say well you smack down as an example two million viewers on a Friday night for a WWE SmackDown now is literally that, 2 million viewers. Whereas this here, we're being told, is 2.2 million homes because that's how they worked out the TV ratings in 96. So if you work that out to the ratio of each home on average having 3 to 3.5 people living in it, which I think was the number that they used back in those days, we're actually closer to 7 million viewers. Wow. If you use today's criteria, today's formula of viewers as opposed to households, the two million SmackDown gets on a Friday night, all of a sudden in comparison to this Clash of the Champions event, it is a much lower number, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, certainly. That's just mind-blowing. I mean, obviously, things change. Nowadays, yeah. people consume television in many different formats. You have uh, the on-demand situations. You have... Um, you know dvrs or cable boxes you can record on or sky plusing it in the uk and all that sort of stuff uh you also have streaming services where you can you know like youtube i guess go and watch highlights and so on which is you know being on twitter and and facebook and and the links that take me off those sites to you to youtube videos is kind of how i catch up with most of what goes on in wwe at the moment yeah Uh, that yeah, that and listening to In the Corner with Benny yeah. McIntyre, of course, on the network here. But back in 96, it was different. I mean, people had video recorders, of course, but it wasn't a case of, oh, if you missed it, it would be on demand. You could watch it whenever you liked. It didn't work that way. So it became very much must-see television if you wanted to view the product you loved. And I think yeah. it were, it shows here. It shows because they're they're doing over well roughly ish seven million viewers yeah. on a Thursday night. 
I mean, that's I, I think that's pretty spectacular. That is, mate, and and yeah, it's just fantastic. I mean, you talk about the pay per view, then you had the Nitro, and now this. I mean, the momentum is certainly going up. It is, it is, and the and we're going to get into that a little bit more, I think, in the coming weeks because we have. Uh, we, we've just come off Hogwild, obviously the the pay per view there, and then we had a Nitro sandwiched in between on the Monday night, and now we have this event here. But then we now have a run of I think it's about is it four weeks of television, Danny? Yeah, yeah, four. Yeah, so we have a run now of like four weeks of television, building into the next pay per view, uh, which is Fall Brawl, and the build for that, uh, if I remember rightly, is quite good, and. We're now seeing, well, we're in the, the, the sort of first part of that run of 83 weeks that WCW dominated the TV ratings. So with regards to the ratings and comparing them to Raw and how many viewers were actually watching the show and, and so on, it, I think it's going to be very interesting because it just gets more and more and more towards the WCW product. And obviously money then goes up and up and up as well with regards to advertising and and so on so yeah i think this is going to be something when we, we keep an eye on it each week on the show of course but i think it's yeah. going to be very fascinating in the coming weeks as we build towards fall brawl danny it really is mate i'm so looking forward to it yeah it's going to be good it's going to be good uh first thoughts then danny with regards to clash of the champions i'm assuming you've not seen many clash events uh, with regards to the fact that a great deal of WCW you're seeing for the first time with regards to our project here. So first thoughts on this episode of Clash of Champions or this particular television special on Clash of Champions with regards to the graphics, the layout and so on. Well, we've we've reco- we've um, reviewed a um, Clash of the Champions before, so I, um, yes. I think it was from 1992 or 91, I believe. And I remember you uh, explaining to me um, from there, uh, it would be the equivalent of AEW doing their um, Battle of the Belts um, sort of specials that they do every um, four months or so. It's very much the same. Yeah, I mean, it was probably more of a big deal because yeah. when AEW do it now, it tends to be an episode of Dynamite that they're building up as a special edition. Oh yeah. Whereas this is extra to the weekly television. If that oh no, that, that that's extra as well. That's on a Saturday night. Oh, oh, cool. Right. Okay. In that case, yeah. I'm completely confused. I'm making myself look a mug. Um, no, yeah, no, but you're, you're right. Yes. <laughs> I don't blame you. There's too much television. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a television yeah. special and, yeah. and and so on. And of course, you know, Turner Broadcasting and, and all that sort of stuff. TBS, TNT, and all those channels. Yeah. That they own WCW. Ted Turner owns the TV company who owns WCW. So that's why these TV specials were always seen as being very important. Because if you popped a rating on a random Tuesday or a Thursday, you were seen as being a big, big deal. Uh, And obviously Turner himself loved professional wrestling. So, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, carry on. Now, uh, so from there um, to this show, we'll get into it later on. But I, I felt, I just felt... I don't want to say like a, a dip in quality, but I felt like that Clash of the Champions from the early 90s felt more important than this. Mm. I think you're spot on. And uh, I watch Clash of the Champions events semi-regularly. I mean, it tends to be my my go-to tends to be WCW television pre-Nitro Nights, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, if I want to put just random wrestling on, 
at night when I'm having my dinner or I'm going to bed, I want to put some on the on the telly in the bedroom. I'll chuck in some random wrestling on. It tends to be early nineties WCW or going back to the Crockett days uh, and all that. So the comparison is is very apparent because these earlier clash events, as I said, would they were dealt with as being a big deal. Yeah, WCW pay per views did not make money until Bischoff came in. And I mean, Hogan Flair at, I want to say Bash at the Beach 94 was yes. the Hogan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was at that point, the biggest rate buy rate they had. And even that paled in comparison to some WWE, WWF events, yeah. the WCW pay-per-view money wasn't groundbreaking. And also you think that pay-per-view money wouldn't benefit Turner Broadcasting wouldn't benefit Ted Turner or anything like that because it's a pay per view, so it would go, it, it would go through their books and so on. But it wouldn't, you know, the pay per view company would take their cut, and you know, then obviously WCW would have a little cut as well, and all these different people would have their cuts. And and back in the day with with pay per view companies and the way it worked, you'd have these massive, huge companies who would then uh, filter it down to smaller companies who would then supply to local households and so on. And everyone, of course, takes their cut. So financially, if a pay-per-view, even if it did do fairly well, it wouldn't mean masses of money to the company that owned WCW. Yeah. So they wouldn't see it as a big deal. But the Clash events, effectively, the, the, the Turner higher-ups would, I'm not saying order or put pressure upon the people running WCW. But it was, I, I would imagine, relatively well known that this is where we make our money because we can sell the advertising because it's our TV station. Yeah. We can sell any form of sponsorships. We get all of the revenue from this special event. So the one that you're referring to would have been seen as a, a big, important moneymaker for the, the, the Turner Corporation company and so on. Uh, via WCW back in the day. Whereas here and now, in 96, the pay-per-views are getting a, a bit hotter. The television itself is very hot. Nitro is doing you know gangbusters. So the Clash events, they kind of... Back in the early 90s, they were seen as being potentially pushed as pay-per-view quality shows. Whereas here, it just felt more like a big television show yeah have i explained that properly you have yeah it, it feels very much like a battle of the belts does now with aew it's like it's there but um we want to see the main show because we know the the storylines are going to progress on uh, nitro or dynamite in today's case like but this is here for there but i mean we're going to see some good matches but where the real um, action happens is the Monday show. Yes. Yeah, you're spot on. And, and I think also uh, maybe the Clash event, that the format is potentially here at the end of 96. Maybe they're viewing that now as being a bit outdated. I'm not sure. I think that when they've got the weekly television show now on a Monday, doing the things that that's doing financially, ratings, advertising, sponsorships and all that great stuff the clash events all of a sudden don't seem that special because they're doing it every week on the Monday. Mm. Now here we are in 96. This is the August of 96. We effectively 
WWE used to run three. Sometimes uh, I think there was a couple of years where there were four clash events within a twelve-month period, but majority of the time I think it was around around three of them. By this point, though, in '96, for the last couple of years, they've only ran two, yeah. and you'd have a clash event in January, and you'd have a clash event around this sort of time, August time, and so on. But next year, as we go into '97. That's the last year that happens. We have a clash event in January of 97. And then the last clash of the champions event runs in again. I think it's August 97. So then when we go around to the date when you'd imagine the next clash event to start, which is January of 98, that's when thunder kicks off. So all of a sudden now you haven't got the TV specials because you've got a secondary weekly television show. So yeah. I think maybe with regards to Nitro getting hot, their weekly television doing so well for them, I think maybe they look at the Clash format as being a bit dated with these TV specials. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, speaking of the television, though, that's kind of how this show begins. We, we almost get a double-barrel recap of our previous episode of Nitro, looking at the, well, not just Nitro, we also get recaps of the pay-per-view as well, with Hogan attacking Brutus Beefcake after the match where he won the world title from the Giant. We then get a little bit of Nitro as well, before we open the Clash event here with Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight Championship. And we are joined by Mike Tanay, who I always enjoy listening to on commentary. And, I mean, this match... I think this is going to be a reoccurring theme as we run through this show, Danny. I'm going to say this match was a bit on the short side. Yeah. Because... <laughs> it, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> because, I mean, we're told at the beginning they have nine matches. Ultimately, we see eight, but they have nine matches for us in this two-hour television broadcast. But you've got to remember, you take the adverts out of that, you're only running for about an hour and a half. Yeah. So you're trying to cram eight wrestling matches, plus anything else you're doing. You know, any interviews, promos, etc. Anything else, as well as eight wrestling matches into an hour and a half television program, you're not really going to give anything a chance to breathe, I don't think. No, that was the major um, flaw in this match. I mean, in this um, in this event, because it was like a little bit too much matches. I mean, if they focused on, I don't know, maybe five matches or four. Um, we could have got some really long matches in this. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, again, looking at it from the standpoint of the broadcaster, I suppose, what I can see looking at this card is that they've tried to do what I suppose some people complain about with regards to WrestleMania some years. They've tried to get as much on the show as possible, but then when you run down the card, they're trying to cater to as many people's tastes as possible. And we have some cruiserweight action to open with Melenko and Mysterio. We have, I suppose, the 80s big man brawling, old-fashioned style wrestling catered for with Jim Duggan and VK War Street. We have a ladies match. We have a tag match. And, you know, we have a bit, you know a, quite an exciting high-flying contest with Eddie Guerrero and... And then obviously we have our world title main event with two of the biggest names in, in wrestling ever. It covers a lot of bases for me. It ticks a lot of boxes, but maybe because it tries to cover so many bases, it spreads itself a bit thin. Yeah, 
that makes a lot of sense, man. It's like if anyone's tuning into WSW uh, for this event, they're they're like we got to advertise as much as as you just covered there, so that they tune into Nitro to see all of it. Exactly, that's exactly the mindset they would have had. Yeah, but we open, I think, very well. Again, the match probably isn't as long as it could be. It's quite a short encounter between these two, looking at some of the other matches that we've already seen and some of the matches that I think we're going to see going forward. But Milenko versus Mysterio, it, it tends to always kind of follow a similar a similar path or a, a similar sort of preset, I guess. Not that I'm complaining, because I love watching these two guys wrestle. We yeah. have Rey Mysterio's speed and high-flying uh, going up against Milenko's more mat-based attack and maybe the fact that he's slightly stronger of the two Danny yeah yeah he certainly is and I love this match um there was just one spot in this match that scared me um a lot was um Rey Mysterio springboarding off of the crowd barricade and almost landing on his neck um other than that I thought this match was brilliant to be honest but just a little on the short side yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed it. I mean, the match starts very quickly with Malenko attacking before the bell. And then we get into the whole Rey Mysterio's speed being too much for, for Dean Malenko to be able to handle. Um, we get a brain buster by Dean Malenko, where he does a little jump just before it as well. We yeah. made it look really good, really vicious. Uh, we end up on the mat where Dean Malenko is wearing Rey Mysterio down, because that's where Dean Malenko's strengths are. And then we get an advert for some Hog Wild merchandise. Yeah. With Jimmy Hart squeaking away. I mean, his whole uh, his whole sales pitch, his whole way of trying to promote the, this Hog Wild merch is to say, I've got my jacket, I've got my T-shirt. It's like, okay. <laughs> as long as you're happy, Jimmy, eh? But, uh... <laughs> exactly. but it's, it's like we, we've kind of been spoiled because we've seen so many great matches from Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio and also against each other on pay-per-views and nitros and it's like okay we, we've never really seen a commercial in between a match like this so it was it did take me back uh, back a bit yeah I mean, I'll tell you what the ads are something I was going to bring up later on actually but let's talk about it now yeah you watch this show on the network, you get the adverts. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I've seen that before. No, it's something you'd expect if uh, somebody uploaded this to um, Daily Motion or YouTube or something, mm. where they haven't bothered to cut the ads. Yeah, I found that very. Um, I started googling some of the um, the uh, the companies that were advertising. I'm wondering why they just threw it. Maybe they thought no one would really watch it. That's why they didn't uh, remove. <laughs> Yeah, it is a funny one. I know when this event was uploaded to Peacock, when the network in in the States switched from the WWE network over to the to the Peacock format, that this Clash of the Champions event wasn't uploaded at the same time as all the others. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't even know for certain if it's on there now. I'm assuming it is. Uh, but for a while, this event was missing from the network. I wonder if that was to do with the adverts. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you could have a point there, mate. We'll have to see going forward to see if there's any more adverts on mm. on these shows. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we get a spot where Rey Mysterio is thrown towards the ropes, but manages to just like jump and land on them, which is quite spectacular. Uh, Dean Malenko is sent to the outside. Ray hits a sent on from the out- from the inside of the ring to the outside. 
And then we get the spot with the moonsault off the guardrail. And I'll be honest with you, yes, it was scary. Yes, he half slipped. Yes, he nearly landed on his neck. But can you imagine in 1996 seeing that? Yeah. I mean, that had never been done a lot, has it? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, we get the West Coast pop for a two count, but they're in the ropes, so the referee has to break this. We then get Rey Mysterio going to the top rope, but he's caught by Di Malenko and gets one of those incredible, huge top rope gut buster efforts that Malenko hits. Um, it gets a three count, but <laughs> Ray's foot is on the rope. So the match restarts and Ray wins lightning quick with a fast roll up. And did we need the dusty finish at the end? <laughs> I certainly don't think so, especially in the opener. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Bob, Bobby Heenan was not happy about it, was he? <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. I mean, he was he was saying like, you know, you've already rang the bell, but yeah. you know, we've seen plenty of times in wrestling that you know that they can reverse decisions or restart contests. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure if the finish was 100 percent necessary. I mean, it wasn't a big problem. It it it, no. it didn't put me off the match. But I'm just asking, was it really necessary? I guess. Yeah. Uh, we then get some adverts for Dentin. If you're interested in keeping your teeth white and strong and also liquid pain relief, which I thought was just called whiskey, but apparently in the States it's something else. <laughs> uh, we then get our first look at Glacier because we've not seen enough Glacier promos in the last yeah. few days on WCW television, but <laughs> he's still not coming. <laughs> no, no, I don't know what's going on with that. And then we come to, we say about a lot of these matches could have done an extra couple of minutes. Yeah, I think this next match uh, is not terrible. It, it's not the guys in the match don't do anything wrong, but I don't think it needs to be on the show. Yeah, this could have been 10 minutes that you spread out amongst the other contests. Maybe we see VK Wall Street in what well, I I'm going to stick my neck out here and say is some of the worst wrestling gear I've ever seen in my life. Take on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, and again, it's. I mean, there's not masses to talk about, really. It's quite, it's just quite a solid 80s-style brawl between two relatively big fellas. Lots of punchy, kicky bullshit. Um, eventually, Duggan goes for the tape to tape his fist. The referee gets tangled up somehow, and VK Wall Street wins with a quick roll-up. So, I mean, it, it, was, it, it wasn't terrible. It was just kind of there, I think, Danny. Yeah, it, it, this went just under four minutes. But the highlight for me was the amazing pyro that Hackstall Jim Duggan got. It was yes. almost <laughs> almost like Cody Rhodes-esque. Um, I'd never seen Hackstall Jim Duggan with pyro like this in my life, and I loved it. Duggan deserves all the pyro he can get, mate. Yes. Top, top <laughs> bloke. <laughs> uh, as if that wasn't enough of, you know sweaty 80s men who shout and scream we get the nasty boys and they are with mean gene oakland and here we get that i mean their interview is kind of making two points one they're saying they're frustrated because they're not part of the triangle match or the triple threat match later on for the wsw world tag team titles i'm going to put forward why the hell would they be you know, have they done anything on television in the last few weeks no. to want a title shot? Absolutely not. I mean, they were on Sat they were on that Saturday night um, from Sturgis, but we didn't see that, so mm. we don't know what they've done. <laughs> exactly. And then the opening point of their shouty, screamy, ranty promo 
is again talking about people wondering or asking the same question about where their allegiances lie. Are they WCW? Are they NWO? And they say, we're just the nasty boys and we wrestle for us. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to lie. I severely doubt anyone's asking those questions anymore. I don't really think anyone cares, lads. No, nobody cares if they join the NWO or not at this point. Mm. <laughs> yes, I think they seem more irrelevant now than they did the last time we saw them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we get another ad break. Uh, on this occasion, we come back to an ad as well, because Mean Gene plugs the hotline. He says that he and Mike Tanay were interrupted by the Outsiders earlier on. And when they are interrupted, they ask the Outsiders a few questions. And if you want to know the answers, ring the WCW hotline. It's like, oh, Gene, you little scamp. <laughs> I wonder what they asked him. <laughs> it's all made up, isn't it? It's, it's going to be bollocks. Um, <laughs> what follows, Danny, is... An interesting one for me. We have the Ultimo Dragon, and he is taking on Conan. But I don't. I understand wrestling in '96, and especially going through '97 and onwards. There is no clear good guy, bad guy with a lot of people. There's a lot of shades of grey, as Vince McMahon puts it. But here, I think I'm confused because Ultimo Dragon to me screams babyface. Yeah, he's got a wrestling style that gets people off their off their seats he's got uh this fantastic look to him you know he's he's sprays the water and the mist and that before his match and so on he screams but everything about him says babyface but he's accompanied by sonny ono because apparently he's a heel and then we have conan who is still trying to make out he's a babyface and says go WCW and, and all this sort of stuff. But he's blatantly a heel. Yeah. Which, by the way, is great. I'm finding Conan far more interesting now than I have done in previous weeks. However, I find this a little bit a little bit odd. I didn't quite know what dynamic they were going for. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same, especially when um, Sadiano was provoking Conan to come outside, I was thinking, who's the heel here? Because in this, it seemed like Conan was definitely working as a heel. Mm. Yes, you're right. Well, the finish shows that as well. Um, we yeah. might as well just jump straight into This match lasts, what, 90 seconds? I'm not 100% sure. It's not very uh, long it, at all. Uh, under three minutes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, we have an Indian deathlock kind of effort by Conan for a while. We have Sonny Ono attacking Conan, which gets Conan then to chase Ono around for a bit. Uh, we have the Ultimate Dragon hitting a moonsault for a two count. Then a quick roll-up, but Conan counters this into a roll-up of his own. He's got two handfuls of tights and wins the match by cheating. And then he pushes Dragon down afterwards and, and tries to do his best seething bad guy facial expressions. And again, it's just, I think, okay, is, is Conan going to turn full heel here? Is that where we're heading? If that is what we're doing, should he not have faced somebody else on the pay-per-view to make that kind of transition a little bit more obvious to people watching? Because, I mean, we've watched the weekly television and I'm sat here going, Ultimo Dragon is a heel who I want to cheer for. But Conan is acting like a babyface, wrestling like a heel, cutting babyface promos, dressing like a heel. 
it just seems like a lot. We, we again we talk about the grey areas that Vince McMahon, you know, famously bought up in the nineties. This to me just seems like a, a, a big grey mush. I don't a hundred percent know where these guys are going, Danny. No, you're fully right with that, mate. And I think that's possibly why they kept it short because maybe they didn't know themselves and it was just like, we've got to figure this out. Just chuck them out there for under three minutes and then let's figure out something on uh, the next Monday. Mm, Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. We see fire and ice, Danny. Their issues are still rumbling on, it seems. Ice Train is at the CompuServe Centre, which is basically a table and a computer where I think he's talking in chat rooms to wrestling fans. Because, I mean, FaceTime and that sort of conversation, that, that sort of stuff wasn't a, a thing back then. And Scott Norton attacks him, beats him up a little bit, and then just walks off. I didn't mind this. I mean, but to me, it felt incredibly 90s. And that's that, from a nostalgia standpoint, that's quite cool for me. Yeah, I think the thing that made it feel like the 90s was there was a lot of bright colours in this. But the most ridiculous thing I ever saw in this was Ice Train sitting there with a bandage over his T-shirt. Um, why would you have that? <laughs> uh, perhaps his T-shirt's poorly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. I'm glad that these two haven't been forgotten about, especially after Hogwild. Um, I'm glad that with the storylines continuing, but I just fear for when this feud is over, where... Uh, we said it before um, last week. Where are they both going to go? Mm. Well, this is it. Uh, the only the only thing they can do at the moment, I I think, looking at you know looking at the weekly television and the fact that there's only so much airtime to go around. I mean, on this week, particular week, it's different. You've got all this different stuff going on, the clash and the pay per view and so on. But a normal week of television, there's not masses of nitro airtime to go around, especially when you've got the NWO and the Horsemen and all that sort of stuff. You do kind of worry where these two two guys would drop, you know, if they parted ways and so on. But the fact that they're carrying on feuding with each other does make sense because I, I can't see where else they could go. No. So probably it's probably in the long run, or at least the short term anyway, good for both of these guys. It gives them something to do, doesn't it? Yeah, at this point. And we don't want to see them being put back together just yet because it would make no sense. But mm. I'd like to see them be put back together at some point. Okay, interesting. Maybe we'll have to see if that happens in the future. Yeah. Something that doesn't happen in the very near future here is our next match. We have Meng come to the ring. He is supposed to be wrestling Randy Savage, apparently. Savage music hits, doesn't come out. Meng is basically declared the winner via forfeit because Savage is injured and can't compete. Now, my mindset here is, why even bother doing this? (laughs) Initially, that's my first mindset. Why even bother doing this? Because Savage is a big star. People love him. People are at home wanting to see him. People are in the arena wanting to see Savage. You're playing the music. He doesn't come out, and then you just declare Meng the winner via forfeit. Savage wasn't even in the building that night, by the way. So they knew beforehand he wasn't he wasn't going to be wrestling. It's not like this is a, a, a spur of the moment decision. This is something they they decided upon much earlier in the day. But then we get Tony Schiavone on commentary, pushing the issue as not being anything to do with Meng or anything to do with the Dungeon of Doom. It's Hulk Hogan's attack on Savage on Nitro that has deprived the fans of seeing Randy Savage, and all of a sudden it just made sense to me. 
by yeah. doing this, people are going to be pissed off or upset or at least disappointed that they haven't get, get, got to see Savage. They haven't, got, you know, they're not getting to see Randy Savage wrestle. They tease it with the music and so on, and they've got these feelings of disappointment, anger, whatever it may well be. And then Tony Schiavone literally says, "Those bad feelings you're feeling right now, though that that ill feeling you have, here's your target for it: the NWO and Hulk Hogan." So it gets more heat on Hogan and the NWO without them having to do anything. Brilliant, mate. I mean, that is fantastic. Um, They know exactly how to push those buttons. They do. They do indeed. Uh, Mean Gene does come to the ring here and he speaks with the Dungeon of Doom, mainly Kevin Sullivan. And Sullivan's just asking questions about Gene bringing Hogan down from the AWA and then from the, the other big city down to WCW and, you know, Gene, you're part of the problem because you dragged this guy around and all this sort of stuff. Didn't really see where the point of this was going. And then your mate comes out, Danny. <laughs> we certainly did. We get uh, the leprechaun just coming out who I thought we would never see again, but he's come out here and he's just kind of almost biting the camera, uh, just growling at the camera and um yeah I, I found this a bit odd because okay yeah we're going back to the the leprechaun but i'm just wondering where where is this headed well i find it very strange because i mean he's, he's effectively foaming at the mouth at one point as well isn't he <laughs> yeah and he's snarling and growling and he does a couple of laps of the ring and then he just runs off which is okay i mean it's not for me the whole dungeon of doom leprechaun thing is not for me at all but maybe there is somebody out there who does enjoy this or it does appeal to the, the younger viewer or the, the sort of person who likes the more cartoony aspect of professional wrestling. I don't know. But he's not acknowledged at all. No. None of the Dungeon of Doom react to him. Gene doesn't react to him. Nobody on commentary even brings it up. And the whole time, Sullivan is still cutting his promo. They've got this dude dressed up like some freaking stupid little mascot from a cereal box, foaming at the mouth, doing laps of the ring, pretending to attack the camera. And nobody even says anything about him being there. (laughs) He just runs around. He does. It makes absolutely no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear me. Coming up next, however, we have a pay-per-view rematch. And this is the ladies' contest of the evening. So again, you know, two-hour TV show on a big available television to many many viewers a a show that's going to be seen by millions so we're trying to tick as many boxes as we can this match here is is the ladies contest of the evening and we have medusa versus bull bull meccano and i don't think this was anywhere near as good as their pay-per-view outing at hogwild danny no absolutely not mate um just i think this is another one of just just too short um for the uh just the length of time affected the match because they had to get somewhere very, very quickly. Um, one thing, did you hear what the a female fan screamed out at one point during this match? No. Oh, a female uh, fan called out uh, at Medusa and said, come on, Medusa, kick her in a fat ass. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it was so audible that I recorded it and I'll send you after we're uh, done here because it was like, wow. Like, I mean, to me, the crowd, don't want to say they weren't into this, but almost like they were just kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah, it's 
I, I think it, again, it's a case of it was decent enough for a TV match, but were people expecting more because of the way Clash of the Champions used to be viewed? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the match begins with lots of the, the kind of hair throws by Bull Meccano. Um, then she uses the nunchucks again, and she's hitting Medusa in the stomach and, and so on. Now, I'm sorry, but if you've got nunchucks and you're using them correctly and you're drilling somebody in the ribs and the stomach, Medusa's fight back then, literally 20 seconds later, just doesn't make sense to me. No, I mean, they're, they're banned in the UK. They're a very, very, very um, violent weapon. Are they banned, are they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I tried to own some a couple of years ago, <laughs> but was told, yeah, they're banned um, because they are very um, illegal and very lethal as well because, um, I mean, you'd see like kebab shop owners own some or something around like East, the the streets of East London, but they, they are very, very... So when we, when um, Ball Nakano pulls them out, I'm automatically thinking... Okay, this could kill someone if you um, mm. if you use them properly. So it is a bit of like, are they going too far here? I mean, couldn't they just use another weapon or something? But yeah, but um, yeah, it's kind of like a bit weird there. We used to make our own as kids. <laughs> I, I say kids. We were literally like maybe ten, eleven, twelve. We we get bits of um bits of wood, whether it would be you know broken broom handles or anything like that. And my friend's dad's tool shed was just available for us to walk in and out of. And we'd use a, his drill and other bits and bobs and attach bits of chain to them. And then just stand in the garden pretending we were the Ninja Turtles fighting with our homemade nunchucks. And my one friend had one of his teeth literally shattered. Not not oh. just chipped, not knocked out. Like it broke into many, many pieces because he was hit in the mush by a, a random nunchuck getting swung about, you know, so funny enough, our parents then find out what we were doing and put a stop to it, so <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the UK, anyway, as I was talking about the nunchucks being a band you actually have to have a martial arts license um, to own nunchucks in the UK uh, Okay uh, Fair enough, interesting Um <laughs> I mean, ultimately, we have got to talk about this match. We can't keep avoiding it. <laughs> <laughs> Medusa fights back after getting hit by these nunchucks. And she comes off the top rope to the outside, hitting Sonny Ono. Ono tries to kick Medusa as they're getting back into the ring. Misses, hits Bull Nakano, and Medusa wins with a roll-up. And it was a bit clunky, a bit messy. Again, it was probably a bang-average TV match as opposed to a special event contest, I guess. Yeah, Arno is not having a good night, is he? That's two of his clients. <laughs> <laughs> He's not, mate. He's not. Um, <laughs> we then have Mean Gene talking with Ric Flair, and he is accompanied, as always at the moment, with Miss Elizabeth and Woman. And he rants and raves about how he's a 13-time world champion. He's got the ladies and styling and profiling and all that. And it's, it's just great Ric Flair, the robes and everything, all that sort of stuff going on. But the way he closes this promo, Danny, yeah. to me, is fantastic. Yeah. It, in referencing Hogan saying that he beat up Brutus Beefcake because that's his best friend and Flair... If I can do that to my best friend, what do you think I'll do to you? Her, Ric Flair responds, 
Hogan, do you know why we don't beat up my best friend? It's because we can't. Oh, such a great line. That is, mate. Uh, uh, the whole thing about this interview that made me laugh was um, at various points. I mean, we've seen uh, on previous night trials and pay-per-views where woman is sort of caressing Mean Gene. And at one point in this, Mean Gene just swats her hand off of him, but he doesn't miss a beat. He's, his eyes are focused on Ric Flair, but his arm is kind of pushing woman away. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, Gene's fantastic. Mean Gene is bloody brilliant in all of his roles here. I mean, I get a little bit annoyed with the way he shills the, the hotline, but that was the way he made, he made money out of that. You know, that, yeah. was, that was his thing. So, but yeah, some of the stuff he does backstage interacting with people. And I mean, that, the nasty boys promo we spoke about earlier on, I don't want to see nasty boys on my television that I've made that very clear, but Gene's interactions with them made it worth watching for him. Yeah. As, they're, as they're bumping into him and shouting over the top of him and so on, his facial expressions, his reactions, his little glances at the camera. The guy is absolute gold at this time in his career, isn't he? He really is, man. And it always makes me wonder, imagine him in the WWF in the Attitude Era. Imagine what he would have done. Well, yeah. I, well, I guess, I mean, who else did you have? But like Kevin Kelly used to do interviews at that point, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know Michael Cole was around for a while doing that role as well. But yeah, Gene was Gene was the man at that role, wasn't yeah. he? He really was, mate. What a big, a fantastic signing by WCW, Bobby Heenan and um, Gene Oakland. Yeah, I mean, it adds, I suppose it adds prestige to the product. Yeah. It adds a certain stature. It's the same as when Jim Ross signed for AEW. Yes. If I was just listening to, I suppose at the moment we are, but if I was just listening to Excalibur and Taz every week, yeah. as much as I know that you enjoy Taz on as a commentator on SmackDown for a certain period, to me, I, I'd i listen to it, I'd have it on, whatever, because that's the company we watch. But I, I'm not invested in Taz as a commentator. Yeah. I'm not invested in Excalibur as a commentator. Because of my age and the wrestling I grew up watching, having Jim Ross sign for AEW and Jim Ross call some of their main events and their title changes and so on, it adds a certain level of, again, prestige and stature to the product. Yeah. And I think I think it's the same with WCW. When they, I mean, they, they signed Hogan, they brought Luger in and all that sort of stuff. But the guys like Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan, they add yeah. that kind of familiarity to a certain audience who have seen these guys in the WWF have seen these guys in, you know, when you look at say WrestleMania three, Bobby Heenan was accompanying Andre the giant to the ring against Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania three in front of supposedly 90,000 people for at the time, the biggest pay-per-view buy rate the world had ever seen. I mean, Gene yeah. was conducting interviews and so on. And then here they are on Monday nitro, this new TV program. It adds a real kind of level it, it basically it hooks in the older viewers but it also says okay this we're serious about this because of the, the level of performer we have not just in the ring but in these other roles as well i think bang on mate yeah um after this interview we have another ad break so i mean again another little uh you know promo for dentin to look after your teeth um some super soakers that apparently can spray further and hold more water and Hot Pocket as well. So, I mean, a pre-warning to anyone who's ever had a Hot Pocket. 
make sure you're going careful because the middle of those things turn basically hotter than the fucking sun and it will burn <laughs> your mouth. Um, <laughs> the next match is Diamond Dallas Page against Eddie Guerrero. Now, as far as I know, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong, there's been no build-up to this whatsoever, has there? No, none at all. Okay. We're told this is for Diamond Dallas Page's ring, his Battle Bowl champion ring. And again, there's no build-up, there's no hype to this. I didn't even know this was happening as I pressed play on the show today. But DDP looks great. He hits uh, a brilliant-looking, almost half-running powerbomb, some awesome gut busters. Uh, eventually, he, he goes for a superplex, gets pushed, uh, and Eddie Guerrero wins with a frog splash from the top. These two guys here are very much trying to find their feet still, I, I think. DDP is still trying the cigar and the hair and the earrings and this gimmick and that gimmick and this gimmick. But we're starting to see the DDP we know taking shape a little bit. Eddie Guerrero, I feel, is still just you know bland babyface number four or whatever. He hasn't got much to his character other than that. They're still trying to find their feet, both of these guys. But I thought this was a very, very good contest. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I would agree with you, man. I mean, you make a great point about DDP uh, sort of finding his footing because I think, I, I I'm not sure, but I think this is the first time we've seen him in the blue and black. Um, okay. And we know that's what he's best known for, those two colours mainly. So when I saw that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's the DDP I know. Well, sort of where I know. He's still got a, a bit of way to go. But yeah, I did enjoy this match. Even though we go back to saying this, that it was a, it was very very short, but it was mm. very very good. Yeah, it was good. I mean, I, I think the the cruiserweight opener and this match are just about worth checking out. Yeah, if people want to go back and watch this, I know there are people who watch all the nitros, the pay per views, uh, the clash events along with us which is fantastic. I thank all those people so much. It's awesome. And the conversations we have on Twitter are, are brilliant as you're following along the WCW product with us as we, we do our Nitro Nights project. So I know that there'll be some people like that who do watch this whole event before they listen to our show, which is a fantastic thing. And I, I feel so yeah. humble when people tell us they're doing that. But if you've not watched the event yet, you can skip quite a bit of this. But yeah. Eddie Guerrero versus DDP, I think it's probably worth a few minutes of your time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it doesn't go longer than five minutes, but it very, what they cram into that four plus minutes is very, very um, good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Eddie Guerrero wins the match, as I said, and he wins Diamond Dallas Page's Battle Bowl champion ring. And Tony Schiavone explains it on commentary as Eddie Guerrero has now won his first title in WCW. I ain't buying that. No, no, <laughs> no. That that's uh, when you look at Eddie Guerrero's Hall of Fame um, career. I don't think this would be anywhere near the top of the list. <laughs> no, perhaps it just needs more publicity. Next yeah. time people, next time anyone talks about Eddie Guerrero, we should just throw in <laughs> oh, former Battle Bowl ring holder. <laughs> we should see where this goes. Yeah, <laughs> we should see where this goes because uh, hopefully, I mean, these two can have great a great match together. Hopefully, this is a, a little feud that will be going on. Well, I would imagine so because there's afters, isn't there? DDP yeah. um, attacks 
Eddie Guerrero, once the contest is finished, hits him with a couple of diamond cutters and then a diamond cutter from the top as well, which looked quite clunky and dangerous. Chavo Guerrero runs in to make the save. So I would assume that this is where we're going for the foreseeable future. Uh, The Guerreros on some level are going to be battling with DDP. And I'm all all for that. I would happily see more of this, given a few more minutes uh, on television or pay-per-view as well. Yeah, yeah. And what what I found interesting was... um, at that point, DDP lays out the referee. And did you hear the crowd when the referee took that bump? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they made an audible gasp. Like, yeah. It was like, wow. Um, I was blown away by that as well. It was like, so now we know DDP is a, a nasty heel. And I'm looking forward to this feud. And the diamond cutter is over, isn't it? That move is yeah. over already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hogan comes out here with his, uh, I suppose, very early version of an NWO shirt. It's just had the airbrushed painting of the NWO lettering on a black T-shirt there. And he effectively roughs Mean Gene up a little bit because Gene, he's not happy with what Gene said earlier in the show. And then Hogan goes on to rant about Flair and call him a stupid little man who couldn't get the job done and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's typical Hogan promo. And I suppose the kind of nonsense shoutiness we've kind of got used to on yeah. Nitro Nights, Danny. It is, mate. And, but I, I really enjoyed it because Mean Gene did um, sort of stand up for himself almost, but he knew, he knew he was no match for Hulk Hogan. But as you're saying about the NWO t-shirt, yeah, they've got rid of the Terminator now, haven't they? Mm. Yeah, according to Eric Bischoff, Uh, Hogan had his own guy who would make stuff like that for him. And that NWO shirt was knocked up for this particular Clash of the Champions event. And it's kind of, I suppose, the the precursor to what becomes that huge top-selling T-shirt that is still available now on WWE.com, the NWO logo in the square and so on. Because to my knowledge, this is the first time we've seen just a black t-shirt with nwo written on the front yeah so i mean it's, i suppose it's very early days but you know you can see the ideas forming danny definitely mate and speaking of ideas forming we have another glacier advert don't we <laughs> bloody hell I, I i think it's been forming it's formed it's overstayed it's welcome it's gone past its sell date I'm tired of this now. (laughs) I know you're quite excited to see this guy. I'm 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 looking forward to seeing your reaction to his first entrance because it is pretty spectacular. But I'm over this now. I said it. (laughs) I think I said it last week or the week before here on Nitro Nights. I'm done with the Glacier stuff now. Just stop running the promos. Either make uh, you know, either have him debut or bin the guy off. Yeah. Or at least just change the promo adverts. I mean, it's the same one every week now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, up next is a match that we both said last week on Nitro Nights that we were kind of looking forward to now because of Benoit putting on a great display against the Yeti last week on, on Nitro. Well, a few days ago on Nitro in the WCW timeline, but last week to us on Nitro Nights. Yeah. And obviously, it was this was building to this contest, the, the purpose of, of this match. 
Benoit facing the Yeti was, you know, sort of testing the water for Benoit versus the giant, who is obviously, again, a huge human being similar to the Yeti. And it's over in seconds. Yeah. But I'll tell you something, Danny. I bloody loved this. Yeah. It, it told a story. I mean, in the 23 seconds that we got out of this, I mean, it was just effectively uh, two moves, wasn't it, from the giant? Mm. Um, yeah, this was a hell of a story that was told in it. I mean, it's one that you could review with um, the great mags on chain wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's how long some of those shows are starting to go now. It might be worth putting forward matches that last less than 30 <laughs> seconds. Um, <laughs> the match begins with Benoit taking off his his jacket, his little waistcoat effort. Um, woman, uh, it's one of those open-ended questions again, similar to the whole Nick Patrick referee deal, in that we don't really know what's going on. Because it looks like, at one point, woman is holding the jacket so that Benoit can't move. But you could quite easily believe that they've just got a bit tangled up and he's struggling to get his jacket off. And the giant just runs and hits him with a dropkick, which was bloody spectacular, wasn't it? Yeah, I love that. But then the most impressive um, point of this match was that choke slam that just looked like it just looked like Chris Benoit was almost at the top of the arena. It's the, it's one of the, I think it might be the biggest choke slam I've ever seen. Yeah. He goes way, way, way up high and comes crashing down to the mat. And then that's it. The giant wins. It's, it's over with, but yeah, a drop kick. Uh, well, first of all, woman holding the coat. What's that about? Is that an issue? Who knows? The questions are being asked. The giant throwing a drop kick looked amazing. That incredible choke slam. And then the giant going over to the camera, holding up the four fingers of the four horsemen and then tucking one down as if to say, that's one done, three left. Like you said, Danny, less than 30 seconds, but accomplished so much. Yeah, I can't wait to see where. I mean, we said it would. I think the giant did a lot to build back up his reputation, especially over um, where he lost the world championship at the pay-per-view. I think, yeah, he's he's getting the ball rolling back now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it, it did a lot to sort of... Uh, again, we were asking, where does the Giant go? Now he's dropped the title yeah. to Hogan, because Hogan was heading to Flair, and we've got this whole Horseman and Sting and Luger versus NWO thing going on. Where does the Giant fit in and all this? If he's going after the Horseman, or, or he's going to be battling Benoit or whatever, it seems like he has a focus and the yeah. way this was done makes him look incredibly strong. So, yeah, I, I'm quite quite fond of what happened here. What I'm not fond of, however, is triangle tag matches, as we've <laughs> mentioned before. I think this stipulation is stupid. I think it's unrealistic, and I think it's pointless. But we have one here. We have the Steiner brothers taking on Harlem Heat and, the, and also the team of Sting and Luger for Harlem Heat's WCW World Tag Team Championships. I mean, the match starts nice enough because when the Steiner's music hits, we get a shot of two little kids, must be no older than five, stood on their chairs, having a little dance to the music. And I thought, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's what wrestling's about. Those kids are loving everything they're getting. That's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Harlem Heat come out with Sherry. And I've got a note here that says, ooh, interesting. No Colonel <laughs> Parker. And then I've got another note that says, 
nope, shit, here he is. Oh, you want to hear my notes on that? I had the same sort of thing. Mine uh, said, yes, no, P A R, and then F U C K. Fuck, there he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he comes out after the entrances have been made. Yeah. But he doesn't actually do anything, does he? No, no, he can't. Yeah. He's just kind of there. I mean, but that little entrance after the entrance, yeah, it kind of was like, oh, really? Mm. Now, my hang-up on these kind of multi-team tag matches, uh, I've explained on the show before. Uh, but to, to, to recap, I don't like the fact that there's two guys in the ring and then there's people stood around on the apron like melons, not knowing what's going on. You know, they can tag anyone. It's. It, uh, I just don't understand. To me, if you're having a triple threat tag team match or a fatal four way tag team match, the only way to do it is have four guys in the ring and they tag their own partners. It yeah. would obviously then become absolute nonsense and break down into a mess. So just don't do it in the first place. But never mind. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it works. No, no, it doesn't. But I, I'm just thinking as an alternative, you could have had. The Steiners versus Harlem Heat, and the winner faces Sting and Lex, or vice versa, swap around those sort of things. But then again, with the time restraints they had, yeah, so it's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, I think this screams because ultimately there's there's no finish here, is there? It ends up the match ends up getting thrown out, which we're going to come to in a moment. But if there's no finish, and the whole purpose of this is to add more fuel to the NWO Nick Patrick referee fire. I don't think you need that triple threat stipulation. The only way, the only thing I can think of as to why they've done that is to get people on the show. Yeah. You know, get people on the show. Sting and Luger are massive stars. They should be on the show. You could have quite easily done Steiner's Harlem Heat. And then have Sting and Luger wrestling in singles matches or a tag match or whatever. But again, we come back to the point of your, your time restraints. Yeah. So I suppose in a way you can have the tag match with your two recognized tag teams and then Sting and Luger who, yes, okay, they were tag champions for a period. To me, they're still two singles guys who are working together. Yeah. They, uh, I think they're thrown into this match just to get their faces on the screen, Danny. Yeah, that would make a lot, a lot of sense because they are the main guys that are um, fighting against the NWO. They're two of the main guys. And so there's that we have to, especially for this um, ending that we're going to talk about, um, they have to be there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, the match starts with um, Scott Steiner beating up members of the Harlem Heat. The Steiners are on top for a while. Then all of it, and this is why it makes no sense. The Steiners are on top. The Steiners are in control, and Scott Steiner willingly tags in Lex Luger, yeah, to make his team then stand on the outside and take away the possibility of them winning the match at that moment because they're no longer the legal men. It makes no sense. <laughs> it, it's a bugbear of yours, isn't it? <laughs> bollocks it's absolute bullshit i don't understand it's, it's stupid it makes the wrestlers look stupid it makes the baby faces look stupid the heels at least can just tag anyone because they're running away scared in a moment of panic 
you know, so at least they've got an out to a degree. It may not be the best one if they're trying to defend the title, but at least they've got an out because they're heels. They can be cowardly. They can be panicky. They can be running away. But the baby faces choosing to tag somebody else makes no sense. No, it's stupid. (laughs) None at all. I mean, the blind tag, we get a few of those here where people are running the ropes. I mean, for example, Lex Luger gets tagged in by Scott Steiner, as I said, and Lex Luger is fired up and he's, he's, you know, hammering his opponents and so on. And then Rick Steiner makes a blind tag to Luger to take over because he gets a near fall from a bulldog. That, that makes sense. I can understand yeah. that because Luger's in control. He's battering Harlem Heat. And then Rick Steiner makes a blind tag to take over and Luger's cross. That makes sense. But when you've yeah. done that once already in the match, you then can't revisit it two, three, four times because it takes away from, you know, each, each time you do it, it takes away from the, the reaction and the, and the appeal of having that spot. So then you're back to baby faces tagging out willingly because, well, I don't know why. I can't give you a because, because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. Eventually, Harlem Heat take control. Um, we go to an ad break. When we come back, Sting uh, makes a blind tag on Rick Steiner. So if you're counting, that's blind tag number two. Uh, Sting leapfrogs and press slams Booker T, which was pretty bloody spectacular, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and then we have a long period with Harlem Heat on the outside of the ring. Now, these are your tag champs, and it doesn't look like they're making any effort whatsoever to actually tag into the match. No. And Sting and Luger are just basically battling the Steiners, which again is two babyface teams whilst your heels stand on the outside. So the crowd are then confused. You're getting a mixed reaction from the crowd, or at some point they go pretty silent because they don't know who to cheer for. It's just it's just badly put together, Danny, I think. Yeah, this could have been done so many different ways, but... Yeah, like you said, I mean, you had to get Sting and Lex on the... on the. Um, I've got a question for you, though, Sam. Who mm-hmm. would have you taken out of this match if you had to take out the Steiners or Sting and Lex? I would... I would take out the combination of Sting and Luger. Yeah. And I would have them tagging against... I don't know, a combination of guys from the Dungeon of Doom. Let them run yeah. over let them run over them in ninety seconds. They can stand there, pose, the crowd can cheer, jobs are good. And then you could have Harlem Heat battling the Steiners, the two more established tag teams over the tag team championships. And then the outsiders can interfere and interject yeah. themselves into the tag team title picture. That's how yeah. I would have done it. No, that that's, that sounds brilliant because the Steiners and Harlem Heat are actually involved in a feud, so it makes perfect sense. Mm. and they're recognised tag teams. Sting yeah. and Luger, yes, they've been tag champs, and yes, they tag together a lot, but they're, they're still just two, to me, they're still two singles guys who are just friends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they're just like brought together. to. Yeah. I don't see Sting as a tag guy. No, I just don't. no. But one thing I, do, I did like about this was the jacket that Sting wore, um, he brought that back in TNA in uh, 2006. And I recognised that jacket from the TNA days. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah, the same one. So oh, that's okay. pretty cool. Yeah, that sort of leopard um, 
coat thing that he had that it was that long jacket kind of yeah. stripey yeah. it was kind of like brown and black wasn't it or whatever yeah yeah I remember him wearing that in TNA and I had to pause this to actually look it up and it was yeah so it's nice to see that he brings that he keeps on to his stuff <laughs> it reminded me of the lino in my great aunt's kitchen <laughs> from when I was a kid to be fair but there yeah. we go <laughs> um, also with regards to Sting and Luger I made a note here to, to, to mention this because it's something that I think it's quite easy to have slipped the mind because of all the NWO stuff and all the great television we're watching. Pre-Bash at the Beach 96, yep. some of the best television was the odd couple tag team of Sting and Luger. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. And Luger was uh, a baby face in the eyes of Sting, but acting the heel behind Sting's back and it was when are they going to split who's going to do what and this uneasy friendship Jimmy Hart was involved trying to tempt Luger across and all this sort of stuff and it was brilliant television yeah now this I think is a negative when it comes to the Hogan heel turn and the NWO and it's not a negative to say it outweighs the positives because it doesn't the positives are far more important and historic and entertaining but a little side note, a little negative was we never really got a conclusion to that. Nah, and, and that's a shame because we were enjoying it. So we were talking about it every week, but mm. yeah, well, where, what could have been? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But there we go. Uh, the match eventually breaks down into a brawl, as these multi-man matches often do. Um, several members from the contest are fighting down the aisleway before Scott Steiner hits a Frankensteiner. He has the match won. He's 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 you know he's covering his opponent, and the referee drops down. We get a one, we get a two, and then the Nick Patrick just stops counting, jumps up, rings the bell, and we see that the outsiders are attacking people down the aisleway. And I think this is done so well, absolutely yeah. fantastic, because we then get a few replays, which I'll come to in a moment, from different angles showing what's going on, and then the referee nick patrick is interviewed by mean gene because the, the, the match has been thrown out as we said and gene is asking the questions of what's going on why have you done this nick patrick what's happening here this is you know and nick patrick i think cuts a fantastic promo yeah he really does i mean um what i loved about the uh outsiders attacking people now way is we didn't, like, there wasn't a camera there waiting for it. Like, I wasn't sure what the hell happened until we saw the replay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that because we've, it's something we've talked about since um, the NWO have come in. It's like, yes, this feels real. This feels unplanned. And that was a prime example. Yes, 100%. I, I, like, I like the fact that Nick Patrick has an out as well. Yeah. Because any level of doubt that we as viewers have or mean gene asking him the questions or the commentary team, you know, pointing out what we should be doubting. He's got an out for, which is just brilliant storytelling because if it was just a case of, Oh, Nick Patrick screwed these guys. Why has he done that? And then not doesn't give you an answer. That's, you know, that's me's lazy. This is yeah. really, really clever because he, Nick Patrick explains there's outside interference. It's a disqualification. Yeah. To which point Gene is like, well, they're in the aisle way. And I'm thinking, why the hell does that even matter? <laughs> They've attacked somebody in the match. It's, it's, it's outside interference. I mean, 
nowadays we know that fatal four ways or triple threats or whatever in wwe they're, they're effectively no dq aren't they yeah yeah but here this is very very early days i mean tony Schiavone even mentions that they've only had two or three of these matches beforehand yeah. so they're still finding their way with them the dq rule still applies there's outside interference so the match is thrown out and nick patrick yeah. explains it doesn't matter that they didn't get in the ring it doesn't matter that this, it was in the aisle way, as soon as they attacked people who were involved in the match, it's a disqualification. It's outside interference. And he even says, look back through any rule book in the history of wrestling, and you will see that it says that. And I'm there thinking, he is 100% correct. Yeah. What he has done is 100% accurate. And he even goes as far as to say, it shows that I've done well as a referee, because part of my job is to be able to look at two things at, at, at the same time. And I'm looking at the shoulders of the opponent of Scott Steiner that he has pinned. I'm making the count. But then I see down the aisle way something happening and so on. And they, we have that one camera angle that comes through the ropes from behind Nick Patrick that shows he's looking at the shoulders, but he can quite clearly see straight down the aisle as well. Which, you know, again, it demonstrates his point perfectly. I thought yeah. this was so well done because you know something is up. This is pro wrestling. There's no smoke without fire. You know something is up. You know something is going to happen here with this referee. Yeah. But he's explaining it away in a way that is 100% understandable and 100% believable, Danny. He is, mate. And I'm loving this story article again because we didn't... Um, we didn't know uh, anything about Nick Patrick um, on screen um, before this. And now, like we've seen, oh, yeah, it's the shady referee. But like you said, I mean, he always has an out. Um, he he could always be proven innocent. And I'm loving where this is going. Mm. It is very, very good storytelling. Uh, Gene does get one little you know, comment in at the end when he says, I have noticed you know, all these nice new Armani suits that you've been wearing recently sort of insinuating that he's being paid off yeah. uh, and nick patrick <laughs> responds with that's not fair gene and walks away but it's done in such a throwaway end of the interview way that it's not even i mean nick patrick's response isn't even caught properly by the microphones so again it kind of feels real yeah and it's something that they will hopefully look back on in the future mm, indeed that brings us then to our main event of the evening and the highest rated segment of the whole show. So those seven odd million uh, viewers were tuning in primarily for this. And why wouldn't they? You've got yeah. two of the biggest names in the history of the business in slightly odd roles, potentially going into this. We have Ric Flair versus the WCW or NWO world heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan. No mention of the United States title at all. Yeah. Flair doesn't wear it. It's not on his graphic as US champion when he comes to the ring. There's no, and this is the big one for me, there's no mention of champion versus champion. I mean, if this was WWF or WWE, that would be hammered home. That This is champion versus champion. That would be a selling point for this match. But the US title is just kind of forgotten about again. Yeah, now that you're saying that, I, I didn't even make a note about that because I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, 
But just before we get into this match, I, um, I remember texting you as I was watching this. And uh, um, just for everyone know, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan have had 121 matches um, together in their careers. That's including Royal Rumbles, Tags, um, War Games matches, all that. But did you know how many times they've faced off one-on-one? No, I mean, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, I suppose, for people listening. Yeah, you mess- You texted me uh, when you watched this and said, you're going to find out how many matches they had so yeah. you can point it out on the show. Um, I've got no idea whatsoever how many singles matches they had. Well, they've had 74 in their entire uh, careers. I mean, that just blew my mind away because people always bring up um, John Cena versus Randy Orton having an abundance of matches. But... 121 times in their entire career they've been in mm. the ring together. That just blows my mind. I would have said, I would have thought at least 80 or something. And then 74 one-on-one matches. And can you guess who was the victor in most of those matches? It's got to be Hogan, surely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the surprise of no one, yeah. But Ric Flair has won a couple. I think he won about 20 of them. So he's um, won 20 out of 120 matches. Yeah. My God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose you take into consideration they they worked together a little bit in 92 mm, in the WWF. Yeah. They went around the house show yeah. route, didn't they? Because that's why the WrestleMania 8 main event that was supposed to be Flair Hogan got dropped because it didn't, apparently didn't draw well. Yeah. Or so the story goes. So they they went around the house show loop a few times. And then they're both in WCW from 94 onwards, right the way through till 2000 when Hogan is you know basically fired. Yeah. So that's another six years. Both guys are always going to be in the top end of the card, main event picture kind of level. Yeah. So I suppose it does kind of make sense. I mean, but you then- think about Flair as well. Flair tells a story on i don't know whether it's a podcast or a documentary i saw flair tells a story about he thinks he's wrestled steamboat over a thousand times oh wow wow that could possibly happen because um then you add in rick flair and hulk hogan in the 2000s as well and they had quite a lot of matches in uh well uh, they had two very violent matches in 2009 and i think that was the last time Oh, no, it wasn't the last time. The last time they re- were in the ring together was TNA in 2010 in a tag match. Um, okay. They had two tag matches in one night. And, yeah, so just that was their um, 120th and 121st match. <laughs> Bloody hell. It's just, no wonder they worked so well together. I will say that. I think with Hogan and Flair, primarily, I'm talking back in the, the early 90s and... I suppose the the, the, the mid nineties going into ninety four when we had Hogan initially arriving in WCW, it it works well because of the nature of their characters. Anyway, Hogan is the you know, prominent good guy in the in the wrestling business in nineteen ninety four. Even though his you know uh, his star has faded a touch from the eighties, shall we say, he is still a guy who has done the same routine over and over and over again for years and made a lot of money out of doing it. Yeah. Ric Flair has been the number one bad guy in the business for a decade at this point. So I suppose when they come together, it just works for me. And I, I do think that still should have gone on 
I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but I do think that still should have been the, the main event of WrestleMania eight. The fact yeah. that they they never tied up the two biggest names in the business, especially at that era. I mean, you get into the attitude era, people are going to talk about Austin, The Rock, and all that, of course. But I'm talking, you know, from from then and '92 and so on, from the '80s and etc. The fact that they never headlined WrestleMania one on one when you had the potential to do that, I look back and I think that's a real missed opportunity. Yeah, but. It is what it is. We got Flair versus Savage, and that match was probably far better than any Hogan Flair match we're going to see. So, yeah, yeah, probably including this one. To be fair, because we <laughs> <laughs> we start off with the belt being presented and shown around and brought up to the camera, and it still says Giant on it because you know WCW. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ric Flair applies a headlock, and we get Tony Schiavone talking about how. Flair's a 13-time world champion, and on each occasion, he's won the belt for himself. But now he's fighting for WCW. Now he has the whole of WCW behind him. The fans, uh, the wrestlers, everyone. But as he's saying this, the crowd, and I think a big old chunk of them, are cheering Hogan. Yeah. It's, Which again... It's in, it, sorry, go on, Danny. I was just going to say, it's insane. Um... They're not fully. I mean, uh, they're still chanting because it's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, but there's a few NWO signs in the crowd as well. Yeah. So we're starting to get to that point of this is exciting. You've got these two big stars who have debuted on WCW television being portrayed as these outsiders, this this invading faction, and then you've got Hulk Hogan, who, regardless of what people's opinions are of him he's turned heel and all of a sudden becomes the hottest thing in wrestling again. People are tuning in to see, wait a minute, Hogan's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, you've got all that going on. They're starting to get cheers because they're they're just the most interesting thing on television at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, also, I suppose debuting two big names like Nash and Hall, it's difficult to get them to be booed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would be. But there we go. Uh, Ric Flair starts with a headlock. Hulk Hogan uh, works Ric Flair's arm for a little while. We then get a lot of the Flair chops before Hogan drops to the outside. We get a test of strength spot where Hogan starts to take control before Flair bites him, which I loved. Um, (laughs) Hogan then takes control of the match and then on the outside sends Ric Flair into the ring post. And I thought for a moment, because it's Ric Flair and because he hit the post and his hands went up to his fringe, I thought, oh, God, he's going to blade and we're going to see typical blood-covered Ric Flair. Then I remembered it's Clash of the Champions. It's a certain time in wrestling and it's you know available on prime time on a Thursday night. So blood, I imagine, was a big no-no at this particular event. But for a moment, yeah. I thought, oh, my goodness, we're going to see the, the Crimson Mask, as Jim Ross would have called it, Danny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that as well. But the thing that made me um, uh, made me happy to see was Hulk Hogan applying the back rake at one point to Ric Flair. Um, I found that that's such a heel move. I love it, though. The thing is, I mean, we, we're coming to it now. We, we effectively get a massive suplex by Ric Flair and then Hogan hulks up, right? <laughs> which is a massive babyface thing to do. Hogan hulks up. The crowd cheer him. 
he hits the big boot and goes for the leg drop, but we'll come to that in a second. Yeah. But that aside, the hulking up uh, and, and that sort of, you know, sort of run through he does is, is kind of traditional ending to a Hogan match. Everything else Hogan has done his whole career yeah. is real shit housery. He wrestles like a bad guy. He's always raking people's eyes. He's always raking their back. He's always hitting women. Poor Sherry in 1989 got busted pillar to post on every pay-per-view imaginable. Yeah. You know, the guy's always been a bad guy. But I just, oh, I mean, Jake the Snake Roberts in an interview I heard with him, I don't know what documentary this was on, but he said about going from heel to face, good guy to bad guy. He says you should just change very small amounts of what you're doing because you're still the same person. You just have different beliefs. And then you get some wrestlers who literally change everything about themselves because they've turned heel. Hogan hasn't got to change bugger all because he was always wrestling as a heel. (laughs) It's true. We've said it since the inception of this um, project. It's like, yeah, um, any match from the 80s of Hulk Hogan's you see, yeah, he's just doing these dastardly moves but that's what i was going to ask about um with you sir is um should this version of hulk hogan be hulking up um no not (laughs) now no i think he's just turned heel yeah if you were to leave it six months a year yeah. really establish him as the number one bad guy in the business and then have him doing that. Imagine yeah. that crowd reaction. Yeah, Be- because the only thing I could compare it to is when Shawn Michaels went from heel to face or face to heel, he always kept the um, the uh, tuning up the band um, mm-hmm. sort of kick- kicks in the corner and it always got a reaction. So I was thinking maybe Hulk Hogan was thinking about that. Where he was like, "This I've got to keep this because this is how he made a lot of money. This is how he gets fans invested, especially he has how he gets fans fired up in the mm. um, crowd. So maybe he was just thinking, this is how like I'll get them awake sort of thing. And this is I've got to keep. But to me, this just felt out of place. Yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. I mean, ultimately, it, he he wrestles a very heel style anyway, as we said. Yeah. This would be the moment where the big monster, whether it was Andre or Zeus in 89 or the boss man or whoever it may well be, the big monster bad guy, that the monster of the week that was battling Hogan, he, he had these you know, huge odds to overcome. He's been beaten from pillar to post and destroyed for the last 10 minutes of the match. And here's where he makes his big Superman comeback and wins the match for the kids and all that sort of stuff. So doing it here when he's supposed to be the heel doesn't quite work for me from that aspect. He should be, in my mind, it's scenario here. He's just took a massive suplex from Ric Flair. His way of then that they're getting to the spot where Hogan hits the big boot, goes for his leg drop, but misses it. Cause then flair applies the figure four. And that's when we get to the finish. So that's the spot they're heading towards. I don't think he needs to Hulk up to go into that. He can literally, I don't know, poke flair in the eyes, turn yeah. the ref, turn the referee around, give him a low blow. 
And then the crowd will be booing him when he goes for the yeah. big boot and the leg drop, as opposed to cheering him, which is what the yeah. effect, the, the cheers is not the effect WWE want at this point. No, no. And I just thought, as you were speaking there, I just kind of thought of this. What if he was hulking up, but then just before he pointed, he just turned around and just said no, or like did, I don't want to say he could do the uppercut, like, um, or like, um, like middle finger or anything like that. But what about if he stopped dead on when the crowd were just about to, to chart? That would piss them off so bad. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Um, that, that could work, you know? But yeah. uh, I, I just don't think it's neat. I mean, once fully established as the heel, the NWO is still very much being formed at this point. Yeah. Once fully established as a heel and you start the hulking up thing, that could have a, that, that could get the booze. That could get that you know, because it towards the end of his face run, it was getting booze, I suppose, because people were sick of his shit. <laughs> so he was getting booze for it. We saw it ourselves in certain events. So yeah. maybe that was in the back of his mind. I don't know, but I don't think it was. It's a very small thing. It's not important, really. No. But to answer your question, I, I think it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but as we said, he misses the leg drop. Flair then snaps on the figure four. It looks like Hogan has nowhere to go. He's in the middle of the ring. We get a bit of a ref bump, and here come the outsiders. But then here comes Sting, Lex Luger, the four horsemen. Everyone is scrapping. Hogan and the outsiders, you know, just leave. They go running down the aisleway. And Hogan is disqualified. Ric Flair wins the match, but Hogan keeps his world title, despite the fact the ring announcer tried his best to announce Ric Flair as the world champion at one point. And have to apologise and do it again. <laughs> he was on a dream there, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he was doing. He messed that up, you know, royally. But uh, yeah. that's kind of where we leave that episode or that show, anyway. Clash of the Champions. It's kind of it. So, from a TV show standpoint, I think it did okay. It ticked a lot of boxes, maybe too many, and it felt a bit, you know, spread thin potentially. It popped a big rating. You had Flair Hogan. Neither of them had to take a, a pinfall finish here, which I suppose keeps them both looking strong from a, you know, that doesn't work for me, brother standpoint. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let, let's get to our you know plus points and our negatives and then give it a rating afterwards, Danny. So let's yeah. get to our woos and our O brothers and uh, high points and low points. Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you yeah. want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, mate. Okie doke. Uh, my oh brother this week is the US title being completely ignored. Mm. That's your secondary championship. It's nonsense. Yeah, fully agreed. I mean, they've put so much prestige behind it recently as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Absolutely daft. What's your old brother, my friend? It's going to have to be outside of the pyro, um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus VK Wall Street. I just felt it wasn't needed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I can understand maybe why it was on there because it's very 80s brawling style, which is different to a lot of the other stuff on the show. So it ticks a box for viewers who want to watch that kind of wrestling. But I'm with you. It, it wasn't a good look. It was not a good look. Uh, my woo then, my big plus point. I'm going to go with the giant looking bloody amazing. 
I think that the the, the choke slam, the drop kick, and then that that symbolism of putting the one finger down from the four horsemen, you know, sign. I guess. I, I think the giant came out of that thirty seconds looking so much better, stronger, more important than he has done in the previous two weeks of television. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, your woo, my friend. Your plus point. It would have to be the finish of the uh, triple threat tag team match because it just felt so natural. It was like, oh wow! And we didn't even get. We only got a very small glimpse of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash there. It was like this was not planned. It was like, wow! They just ran out uh, and attacked Sting and Lex and everyone else, and then ran back away. And we didn't see them for the rest of the night. They weren't cutting promos backstage. They weren't. It was like. Yeah, they're paid to be there, but there was on t- on television about oh, I'd say about under ten seconds, mm. and I felt that was fantastic because it just showed up they could show up any time they want. As we said um, last week on NWO time, that's where they work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Overall, then to summarise, hit, miss, or middle in this week for Clash of the Champions thirty three. I'm going to go middle with this one. So, um, there were some good matches on this, but um, as you were saying earlier, um, it is worth going back to see some of the matches, but there was just a lot of um, almost filler as well because the this, this matches were so short. Um, how about you, mate? I'm, I'm a little bit more negative, I think. I'm going with a miss this week. Yeah. Um, the opener between Mysterio and Dean Malenko was good. But we've already seen those two in better matches, I think. So I don't really think I need to go back and watch this one again because we've seen them in better contests. And I'm no doubt think we'll see them in better contests again. Yeah. DDP Eddie Guerrero was decent enough. But is it enough to make me go back and take to, to watch that? I mean, if you're scanning through the show anyway, then by all means, stop and give that a watch. Am I going to seek it out having already seen it? Probably not. And the big attraction, I guess, of Flair versus Hogan, it, it was all right. It was it was decent enough. Messy finish. But yeah, not it was a it was an okay TV show for me. Yeah. As opposed to a great TV show or even something of pay-per-view standard. Not saying this was a pay-per-view, of course, but going back to how clash events were treated in the past. So just being an okay TV show. Not enough there to make me go back and watch again. So it, it's, it's a miss for me. It's not terrible, but I wouldn't go back and press play again. Yeah. So there we go. Next week, we'll be back on our normal, I suppose, WCW schedule. We're looking at the following Monday Nitro that uh, comes after this event that was on the Thursday night. Busy a few days for that WCW production team and the uh, wrestlers and so on. But before we get to that, we need to let everyone know whereabouts they can find us online, Danny. So do you want to let everybody know out there in the Podland universe where they can find you, your contact details on social media and all the shows you are involved in? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Fellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell, where we'll be talking about the August 19th, 1996 Nitro. 
We will indeed. We will indeed. Uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find on the network that carries this show. So that's SJP World Media. And you can find that on all your podcast players, platforms and providers. And on social media also, Facebook and Twitter, at SJP World Media. So make sure you're chucking, chucking us a follow, a subscribe, hit the notification bell so you know when new episodes arrive. Check out our merch store as well. A uh, couple of sales coming up very, very soon. So make sure you're t- checking that out. Get yourself some Nitro Nights goodies, some SJP World Media goodies as well. Check out the other shows on the network also. I mean, this is very much nostalgia-based. We have shows looking at modern-day wrestling. They watch WWE, so you don't have to. In the Corner with Benny Mack and Tyler Peters, as well as the awesome trio from Ohio hosting regularly scheduled hostilities out every single week. We have all sorts of non-wrestling content as well. The waiting room is back. Benny Mac and I looking at the old 80s, early 90s sci-fi time travel TV show Quantum Leap. We have the Doctor Who pod as well uh, on its break after season three. Season four is going to be starting very, very soon, as well as all sorts of other stuff. Benny mentioned, um, sorry, Danny mentioned back when with Tyler Peters. Fantastic show looking at music, TV, film, wrestling, all sorts. So much going on. Just go and check it all out. And let us know what you think online. That's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, But you can also follow this show itself at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter also. It's been a blast again, Danny, my friend. I'm looking forward to speaking with you again for next week's Nitro. Me too, mate. I can't wait. Awesome stuff. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. 